families aren't just divided, they're really distracted. They might be living under the same roof, but they're distracted with social media and schedules, and we're not taking the time. And it's important that we do take the time, and it's important to really reduce some of that screen time as well, that social media time for our kids. That was one of the things my daughter, who has wrestled with depression, found to be one of the best things was to reduce her social media. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. We're coming to you from the 2023 National Religious Broadcasters Convention, where we've been, and it's always a thrill for me to be here. I say that because of all the wonderful people that God allows me to meet, and I love how organically I get a chance to meet people. Now, I met a dear friend, Lisa, back in the NRB in Nashville several years ago, before COVID, and we've been social media friends. She has an incredible ministry to ladies and discipling, and there's all kinds of things that connected to that. And I was here at the NRB in Orlando, and she introduced me to her friend, Lori. So uh, Lori and I are sitting down now, and I want you to meet Lori Wildenberg. She has written a book called Messy Hope, and we're going to talk about that. It's to help you parents, and any grandparents too, that might have a child in your life, to help them to overcome anxiety, depression, or suicidal, you know. Yeah, yeah, that is something that is so big, (laughs) and we want to talk about that. Lori, God bless you. Thank you. Welcome to Bot Radio Network. Thanks so much for having me, Byron. And it was so great that Lisa introduced us. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's really awesome that we connected. Let's back up a little bit and discover some of your backstory. Where did you grow up and what was your favorite thing to do growing up? <laughs> oh, uh, growing up, my favorite thing to do was always walking in the woods or, or hiking. And it still is my favorite thing to do. Um, I grew up in Minnesota and now we live in Colorado and can still hike and walk walk in the woods and the mountains. What part of Colorado are you? We're in Morrison, which some people are familiar with Red Rocks Amphitheater. That's Morrison, Colorado. Okay, how and where did you meet your husband? We met in high school, and we started dating in college. Okay. So we've well, known each other a long time. Was it love at first sight? Well, <laughs> I had a crush on him in high school, but we didn't start dating till college, so I was very interested. <laughs> so, God, you tied the knot, and you moved forward with life, and God bless you with children. Yes, we've got four kiddos. Um, we adopted our oldest. We went down to Bogota, Colombia to adopt Courtney, and then we had three more kids the old-fashioned way and they're all very close in age so um, we had four kids five and under which was really great and now our family's expanding with three in-laws and four little grandbabies oh in that one and being a grandparent one of the best things in life uh, yep yep <laughs> oh, and being a parent is too you know there's at times you might hear a child in your home say things like I'm such a failure no mm. one cares about me you know I haven't felt happy for a long time I just don't want to live anymore. I mean, sadly, our children say things like that. And sadly, Lori, as you know, children younger and younger are saying things like this. When I was researching for this book, Messy Hope, Help Your Child Overcome Anxiety, Depression, or Suicidal Ideation, I discovered that kids as young as five are being diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And the professionals are calling this the new normal. And we cannot accept this. That's not okay. Yeah. 
and we can do something about it. You know, recently I had an educator on this program and she was telling the story of one of her former students that uh, when he was in her second grade class, he was being recruited by gangs to do gang activity in second grade. So if we look at our chaotic society, not only this situation with gangs, but how families are so divided and all the issues that are really counter to family that are attacks against the family, you know? It can easily create an atmosphere of depression and there's the issue of bullying. There's so much pressure on our kids today. Yeah, and families aren't just divided, they're really distracted. They might be living under the same roof, but they're distracted with social media and schedules and we're not taking the time. And it's important that we do take the time and it's important to really reduce some of that screen time as well, that social media time for our kids. That was one of the things my daughter who has wrestled with depression found to be one of the best things was to reduce her social media and sometimes even just fully get off it it was much better for her mental health and I think we've really got to pay attention to that because that feeds into that whole anxiety and depression cycle yeah or if you discovered in your research maybe a line between I mean all of us as humans have battles or seasons, you might say, of depression, of discouragement, feeling down, maybe feeling, you know, isolated. We all go through times like that. But there's also a clinical, you know, diagnosis where somebody might have a mental health issue involved here that's deeper. So you're right. The nor- Those are normal emotions. And I think what has happened with those normal emotions that you mentioned, you know, the sadness and Sadness can turn to grief and despair and depression, but sadness is normal. And we need, and grief is normal, and we need to help our kids understand that those are typical emotions. I say sad, mad, glad, and scared, right? Those are all normal emotions, and everybody feels them. And there's this lie from the enemy that says you have to be happy all the time. Well, that isn't anything that we want to do because happiness, that's only one of of the emotions. So what we need to do is let our kids know that that is very typical to have all these other emotions, and it's good because if we didn't experience grief, how would we ever build compassion? Yes in a person. If we didn't experience, I don't know, frustration, how would we ever learn how to become more patient and persevering? So all those, what we might call negative emotions, are very positive things. Fear, if you experience fear, then you can learn how to be courageous and brave. These are good qualities. Yes. So we shouldn't shy away from them or try to make them better. Great, great example as you share that. I was just thinking about, you know, we are sensitive to a hot stove, you know, when we touch it, it burns, right? It's giving us a sign. And so the same thing I think happens when we encounter these fears, you know, these feelings of isolation or sadness, they're pointing to something. And we know that foundationally, everything that we need in life for our our true identity, you know, the world tries to offer us all these ideas of who we need to become, what we should do for real satisfaction and identity. But we can't really find our purpose or identity until it's resting into the finished work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you've touched on the basic thing right there. That's what we need first. And and to talk to our kids about identity and to affirm their identity that they were created purposely by God for a purpose. And 
to understand that their identity is who they were created and who they were created to be. Yes. And to try to switch that up and think, I know better, that is going to also spur on some mental health issues. There's going to be continued depression or anxiety because if you present yourself differently than how you were created, that's going to be in conflict with your spirit, and that's going to cause issues. Lori, take us inside the Wildenberg home. I believe we were discussing before we jumped on the microphones that your daughter was the inspiration of you writing this book. Yes. Uh, What were some of the signs? What were some of the things happening in your home prior to what was life like, and how did you start discovering there might be a pattern here of some depression and anxiety? That's really a good question. So what we first noticed, and I just want to let your audience know anything I say here is all good with my daughter who was the one that has wrestled with anxiety and depression what first was the first indicator was that she had an eating disorder for a brief period of time and all of that is tied together and if I had understood that a little bit more that you know her eating disorder was an indication that's something else wasn't right, right? That something else was off in her in her spirit, in her mental capacity. Um, even though she was functioning great, she still had this anxiety. And, and that's where we have to pay attention. Let me stop you there for one second. How old was she at this time? At that time, she was middle school age. Okay. She wrestled with that for a few, a couple of years. And Was it peer know, pressure involved too at school? Or was she getting along with her friends and things no, going? No, I think there's just a pressure to be thin and And when you're a young girl beginning to go through puberty, you get a little thicker. And she, fact is, she wasn't thicker, but she saw herself as this and needed to understand. And one of the big mistakes I, I made, Byron, was I wanted to encourage her in how she looked and to help her have a tool. And so I said the worst thing a parent can say. I said, you know, you don't have to worry so much about this. It's going to be fine. So first I dismissed her, her concern, rather than listening to her and trying to help her with that. And then I said the even worse thing. I said, just do what your older sister does. You know, what a terrible thing to say. I said, just eat healthy and exercise. Now, the message isn't bad, but the delivery of that message was terrible for me to put her in a position where I was comparing her to her older sister, who was two years beyond puberty, had already kind of slimmed out. And that's one of the things that I call a hope buster. Yes. And in my book, I talk about hope builders and hope busters and comparison, particularly comparison among siblings is one of the worst things we can do. With that advice and with the way you approached it at that time, did she become more distant from you, maybe not wanting to listen to your advice? Or did she did she try the, the, the health kick and try the EP No, I made her mad. You made her mad. <laughs> yeah. So she didn't so, want to talk to you. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that. So communication wasn't was totally shut off. Not at all. But that kind of attitude. And plus, it didn't help. I mean, she's got a great relationship with her sister, but that could have been a barrier yeah. to that. I mean, I could have done a lot of damage with that. I did some damage. It could have been worse, but yeah. So we want to avoid those things. Well, you have uh, some wonderful chapters, up to 13 chapters with the conclusion here in your book. Again, the book is called Messy Hope and helping your child overcome anxiety, depression, or suicidal ideation. And we as parents, we need to know these things. This is, this is, this is important. Of course, you, you talk about 
hope needed. So you, you now have discovered your initial approach and your response to your daughter wasn't the correct way. And hey, you know what? I, there's a whole truckload of ways and examples I could have done better as a parent with my kids and I regret. And by the grace of God, he uses these things, you know, still because we're all broken people. Even, even parents are broken people. We don't have all the answers all the time. And so I'm thankful for his grace, thankful for how he's used your story to write this book and to help others to discover that. So, you know, when what when did you start discovering that you needed to approach this differently with your daughter? Well, bit by bit, I think there wasn't a total aha moment because she kind of worked through the eating disorder. So I sort of thought we were done, right? You just, you want to move on and not think about it. But then I started noticing her room was really messy. And I've realized through researching that a very messy room is an indication that something isn't right. It's almost like a picture of your brain. And had I known that, I would have acted on it. She went off to college. Everything seemed to be really good. But then there were a few things that were happening where there was a lot of stress with the college courses that she was taking and some stress with some particular relationships. And she was looking at social media and thinking, I'm not happy all the time. This isn't good. This isn't right. And it's such a lie from the enemy that we think that we have to be happy all the time and to compare our lives because we're not looking at the whole life of each each person. You know, we, we don't see what's the before picture, what's the after picture. We just see this one snapshot where everything seems good and everyone seems to be enjoying life and having these great adventures. She ended up falling deeper and deeper into depression. And one day I called her, I was, I was very concerned about her, and she was four hours away from us. And I called her regularly, probably daily, just to check in on her. And one of the times I called her, her voice had a very flat affect. And that scared me very much because I knew that she just didn't care anymore about anything. And this is a loving, vibrant person. Big happy, right? She's also big sad. She's very sensitive. But there was a flat affect. It would have been better to hear a big sad than that flat affect. And I knew, I, I talked to my husband. I said, I, I need to get there. And I'm going to stay. I'm going to go. And I'm going to stay for however long it takes and have her stay with me. Well, what I didn't know is that was the night that she had attempted to take her life. And I showed up at her place that next morning and God protected her and she did. And I didn't know right away that this was something that she had attempted the night before. And uh, she and I stayed at a hotel and she seemed to be doing better. Well, what God was showing her is it's not time and I'm going to keep you here. And She's had a few other near-death experiences that were by accident. One was she ruptured her spleen skiing, and then another was she was down in Peru, and she was actually shot at at point-blank range. I, I mentioned this in the book. All of this contributed to her trauma that she has had. So she wasn't as resilient as she might have been earlier. But when I got there... She just, she was starting to realize God was not done using her yet, so she just better get on board with him wow. and start living. Well, Lori, it's obvious that uh, she has come from a loving, caring family and a mom and a dad who want the best for her and want her to you know, uh, grow in her relationship with Christ and be delivered from the pain of anxiety and depression. But sometimes when you're going through 
conflict and difficulty like that, you need support yourself you know, along the way. Did you find support? And did you find support from the church? Was there people, ministers or godly people who came alongside you that you knew they were praying for you and support you? Because sometimes when you're going through situations like this, you don't necessarily want people to know your your personal business. You don't want people to know the difficulty you're going through, but it's hard and, and you want to share, but sometimes you don't, you don't know where to turn. What? Are you speaking about the parent? No, I'm talking needing about support you, me. You, 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 support. you and your yes. husband. Is a, you know, yeah. that's so funny that you say that because Tom and I were so focused on our daughter that we didn't realize that we needed some support. And we did have some. We had, you know, friends. Of course, we had each other and other family members, too. But we just were so focused on her that we didn't even think about it. But had we reached out to our church and done some of those things, they would have been fully receptive. Right. And it, and it wasn't out of pride or any of that. It was just our focus was just so laser focused well, you're on, on a our mission. daughter. And, and the fact, too, I love the fact that you took possession of this. This was personal. This was your child. And even though she's grown in college, <laughs> we still love our kids. Yeah. And God has given us that, that guardianship to protect and to care and to love. And that will never change until we leave this earth with our children, that relationship that God, yeah. especially a mom and her daughter, right? Yeah. Oh, it, and here, you know, our daughter had written a blog to her peers to reach out for help if they were going through this kind of a situation. And that's the time where I knew that the Lord wanted me to write to parents to help their children. And I asked my daughter's permission to tell her story and also just go ahead and give tips to parents on what to do either to prevent or to handle things in the midst of the difficulty. And she gave her great permission, but I was worried about writing it because I was afraid that it would bring her back into those feelings. And it it did not. And she found that it was actually something that was very healing for her. And here's what I realized, Byron. I didn't realize what you were speaking of. I didn't realize I needed to be healed. Yes. And God, this project, this book, to also heal me. Oh, I love that. So it was a very big blessing, something that I was very fearful of because I did not want her to go back to that place. But she was telling me as we were working on the book and I was asking her questions like, how did you feel at this time? She said, mom, I don't want you to worry about this because I can tell you, I can hardly relate to that person anymore. So God has healed her as he has healed me through a book that I was very resistant about writing. (laughs) Well, in the ninth chapter, of the book, you have a, a, it's titled Know Your Enemy. And there's a verse here that you have, and I think you have a, a verse associated with each chapter. I love this. Ephesians 6 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And when you open up this particular chapter of the book, Know Your Enemy, you talk about a family shooting center. <laughs> Tell me about that and how that relates to our enemy. The, the family shooting center? Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, you need a target, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know you're you're kind of resistant to doing some of these things but we had gone shooting. For our listeners, let's let's describe what you mean by a gone shooting, okay? Gone, well, <laughs> I'm not familiar with these terms so yeah. much cause, because that's not my thing. You went to a shooting range. Yes. Okay, okay there you go. A shooting range. <laughs> and I wasn't able to use my husband's, I guess it's a rifle, Okay. because it was too heavy. And there was a little boy next to us who was using his 
little boy-sized rifle to hit the tar. Hit, oh, it was those clay pigeon things. Okay, you were shooting active things in the air then. Moving, yeah, yeah, well, like discs, not yes. real things. Right, you know, no, clay pigeons. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So I couldn't do anything with my husband's armor, right, my husband's gun, but I was able to use, he, this little boy was so nice because he knew I was having so much trouble. And he he said, here, here, lady, why don't you try this? This. <laughs> and they were, he was in the, you know, the lane next to us or whatever you call it. And so I tried his. It was light. I could do it. It didn't have as much of that kickback. Oh, my gosh. I don't like that. <laughs> no. and These are I, shotguns you're talking about. Yes. And I hit the target or I hit those little things. I hit a couple of them with that. You need to put on your own armor to fight the enemy. You can't, just as David needed to wear his own armor when he was fighting Goliath. Well, the, the armor that was provided for him to fight Goliath. Yes, yes. he couldn't wear that. It right. was, it didn't it was fit too r- big. Too big, right. He had to use his own, what God had given but, him. But you, you talk about knowing your enemy, and I think this is, is crucial because, again, Scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities. Yeah. You know, and so we, don't see, we don't necessarily see. Right. So, Talk about knowing that yeah, enemy. I think we need to know, first of all, our families have a big target on their backs, being families of faith. And we have to really recognize this, that that is a true thing. And we need to also remember, it's very important for us to remember to pray. When we're in the middle of, of hardship, sometimes that is the thing that brings us to our knees. But there are also times that you're, you for either forget to pray because you're in the middle of the stuff, or you can't pray because because you're so distraught. So to be able to ask for prayer, and I think that that's a very big thing to be able to do. And praise the Lord, I have a friend that I pray with every Tuesday. And there were times, I can tell you, Byron, I had trouble getting out of bed because I was depressed that my child was going through such heartache. And having her pray with me and pray for me was huge. And I I started saying, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then I I could get out of bed, but that lasted maybe about three days. And then I was like, okay, God, you made this day, fix it. And um, then he encouraged me to read the rest of that psalm. And the psalmist is the, in the middle of a battle for his life. And it's just those few little verses in there, you know, that this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's just those few little verses in the midst of him fighting for his life, battle on all sides. And then I could say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And, you know, for the joy set before you, just as Christ, for the joy set before him as he was on the cross, it wasn't that he endured it, right? It wasn't that he was thinking this is the greatest thing. This, he was sweating blood. This is hard, but for the joy set before him. So do the hard work for the joy set before you. Get in the trenches with your kids. Listen to them. Sit with them in the hard stuff, but don't stay there. Also, when researching this book, one of the big things that struck me was that positivity is not necessarily helpful. Realism. Realism being realistic trumps positivity. Can you give us an example between the two? Okay, so positivity might look like, hey, it's not so bad, or it could be worse, or when God closes a door, he opens a window, Yeah. or look at all the blessings in your life, count your blessings, all the things that we want to say and probably do say, all right? Realism is 
there's some tough stuff and you're going to go through things that are going to scare you, that are going to be hard, that are going to make you sad, but that's part of it and it's okay. <laughs> oh, you know, there is a new culture of parents and I just discovered this. My niece is a pediatric dentist in Dallas and she talked about this new breed of parenting called snowplow parenting. Oh. And I don't, I've never heard the term before. Yeah. Maybe you have. This is yeah. all new to me. But she was saying as a dentist working with children, there'll be times that she realizes this child needs to have a, a tooth pull, you know, or a cavity <laughs> fill yeah. or a root canal. Uh-huh. And, and it's not going to be and, good. <laughs> and, 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 and it's not going to be happy, good. And so the parent goes, well, wait a minute. Now, Johnny, do you want to have your tooth pulled? and have the pain of that. This is the parent talking to the I child know, first. I know, it's crazy. You don't want that, do you, Johnny? No, he doesn't want that today. And this drives my niece crazy trying to help these children because the parent won't talk about reality, which yes, you just said. Yes, yes, And you know, Jesus, he gives it to us straight, doesn't he? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. That's the truth. That's reality. In this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't leave us there, though. He yeah. says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Yes. So yeah, in this world you will have trouble and you might have to get your teeth pulled <laughs> and it's not going to be a happy thing and you just might not have a choice in the matter. <laughs> That's right. I'll tell you what, this has been a wonderful opportunity to visit with you, Lori. I'm so glad that we met. And I love the title of the book, Messy Hope, because life can get messy. But in the middle of the messiness, there is hope. And you say, as you wrap up the book here in the conclusion, the shame of mental illness needs to be and can be erased. You might have to live a life of mental illness. I deal with my dad. He lived a life until I buried him about five years ago in and out of mental institutions. And so I know that some people suffer clinical mental illness in a much deeper way. So I've lived the life of that. But you can still erase the shame of that because Christ is good in the pain, right? Yes. And why does it have to come with shame? Yes. Well, what, what would be the reason? If you have a physical malady, we fix it. No problem. You go to the doctor. If you have an emotional or mental difficulty, same thing. Go find help. Take the shame away so that you can get help. And there is help available. God bless you, Lori. This has been wonderful. I'm so glad we met and we we're able to tell the story of Messy Hope. Brent, you need to get a copy of this book. And how can our listeners get your book? Any of your online bookstores will have it. Also, you could go to your, your favorite brick and mortar store. And if it is not on the shelf, they can order it as well. So it's out there. Praise God. It's not only helped me and my daughter, but it's also be helping a lot of other people. So and you're I'm getting very some thankful. good you're hearing some positive stories yes. Yes. or some reality stories yes. <laughs> coming out of yeah. the, the book. Yeah, yeah. How God has been using this material. I'm very thankful. Lori Wildenberg, God bless you, my dear sister. Thank you for how you're allowing Christ to use you for his kingdom, for his glory. Thanks for stopping by here. Oh, Byron, thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs> and I'm so glad Lisa introduced us. I am too. Well, friends, we're going to have to wrap it up on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint coming to you from the 2023 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in the beautiful, sunshiny state of Florida. I'm Byron Tyler. That's all the time we have right now. We'll talk you next time. Bye-bye.